Now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, Certified Practicing Accountant and Financial Advisor. And Stephen Pritchard, today we're going to be talking about... Uh, we're going to talk about starting a new small business. A new small business, the ins and outs. Lots of people think over the Christmas break they'd like to be self-employed and come up with some ideas about starting a new business, so I thought I'd just run through some things you need to think about. What's happening at the moment with currencies and commodities? Things are a little bit um, up and down. A bit all over the place, really. With uh, yeah, Well, Theresa May has now, of course, been confirmed in her position in in Britain, so Brexit is, well, just going ahead as it was rather than giving us that total uncertainty. Why? It was always going to, the people have voted for it to go ahead. And, you the know, people it's did. A, it's the same, it's the same issue you got, you know, the media's making up these stories that the majority of people don't support. I mean, you know, when Trump was getting elected, there's a certain national broadcaster here was, was, was saying that, that, um, that uh, Trump's losing and Hillary Clinton's getting further and further ahead. And when you went actually look to the US election office results, the, the complete opposite was the truth. So I, I, I don't know what's happening, but there's a lot of stuff that's just being put around that's just not the truth when you go back to the source. Well, yes. So. And now, um, and, Brexit, and, yeah, might Brexit be in the will same be good position. for Australia. That's all we need to worry about. Is Brexit it? will be good for Australia. As long as we stand firm with our trade agreements. Or well, make sure everybody. Well, gets you know, the best. Australia lost a, lost a lot of exports markets when uh, um, the UK joined the common market. So um, there's no more to lose. So it can only be that we can get some back. We can start selling oranges and what's yeah. left of the apple orchards back to the the UK again. And yes. uh, yeah. So I can see it's only a positive from Australia's point of view. They do exit. Excellent. In the meantime, uh, in the meantime, the gold the price for all yes. those people who've boxes of gold. Um, the gold price was up 1.4% on the week or $25.17 to $1,774 an ounce. Uh, the copper price was the copper price was uh, up $74.29 a tonne. Yep, so copper's still to, okay to, to $8,567 a tonne and the crude oil price was down $1.71 a barrel to $83.43 Australian. Um, the currency is a bit all over the place. Um, we're down against the US dollar to 72.2. Against the Great British Pound, we're up about 1% to 57.18 pence. And against the euro, we're down um, about... 1% to 63.51 euro cents. These aren't big movements, are they? Ah, this is just, you know. Yeah. Nah, there's not real big movements here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, the All Ordinaries, um, the All Ordinaries on the week was down 9.5 points to 5,727. I mean, it was all over the place during the week. Lots of red one days and then recovered a bit. Um, the S&P 500 was uh, 2,651, which was down 44.9 points. And the UK FTSE index was, was, was up 176 points, which is almost 3% to 6,880. You know, despite all the people doomsaying, the, the UK equity market seems to favour the Brexit exit. It's going up. Yeah, yeah you know, if, if all the business was going to be lost that people are saying, you'd expect the UK equity market to be going down. So, so plenty of confidence there. There seems to be confidence there. And in Japan, the Nikkei was up uh, 101 points to 21,602. Mm. Um, in Newcastle, um, BHP uh, was um, up 79 cents to 32.1, 32 
$8.19. And I think that's probably because the buyback's holding up the BHP price, so, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, CBA was up $0.41 cents to $70.08, um, probably because other banks and financial institutions are now being targeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and NIB was $4.71, which was down 20 cents. And Telstra, Telstra was down another cent to $3.03. So I wonder if we'll finish uh, above $3 at the end of the year. And it, the fuel prices in Newcastle, $1.35.7, which is down 2.2 cents. And in Sydney, $1.36.6 was up 13 cents. Mm-hmm. Uh, diesel, uh, down 2 cents in Newcastle to $1.51. And in Sydney, um, down 4 cents to $1.40. Mm, Not quite the start of the holidays yet. Um, The last show is next week, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Our last show is the end of next week, yeah. So when are we back after that? After Australia Day. Time to take a look at the market, our market update. And you did say we'd talk a little bit about BHP. Yes, BHP. So first is their buyback offer. Yeah, so BHP, as as some listeners might know, and if and and if you have BHP, you need to listen to this. Um, BHP's buyback offer is. Uh, closing on the 14th of uh, December, which is... Which is tomorrow. Tomorrow. And the buyback offer, if you have a look at the buyback book, actually it's quite good, which is unusually so for a buyback offer. It's actually got the outcome under different scenarios and a table in there so you can work out your scenario. So anyone who's got some BHP shares, I encourage you to um, have a look at it. Don't throw the buyback book away. And if you have you have done that, you can download another one from the internet and have a look at that because in some circumstances, the buyback's worth up to $42 a share to you. Mm. So the BHP was trading on the market yesterday about $32. So you can, in, in some circumstances, you can pick up about $10 a share by accepting the buyback. So I'd suggest that everyone who's got BHP shares need to get out the buyback book, have a look at it before tomorrow, understand what you're doing, or if you don't, you know, get some advice quickly and uh, because you're just going to throw some money away if you don't have a look at that. Now, it depends on your individual circumstances. There's a whole table there which lists out most of your circumstances. Um, so, so as I said, you can get up to $42. You've got, you've got till tomorrow to, right, to do that. Mm, these days of electronic communications, that's possible to do. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've just got to you, you accept um, basically online. Yeah. There's a process to do it, but it's quite easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you just do it online. You don't have to... Well, I suppose you can fill the form in, but it's not going to get there by tomorrow. Mm. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. So uh, moving on to West Bank. Ah, and... moving on to further flow-ons from the Royal Commission, I think. Indeed. Uh, Westpac. The shareholders at Westpac are very unhappy. Um so much so they voted against the bank's remuneration report by 64.2%. Now, that that's the highest that's ever been recorded for a what you'd call a mainstream, widely held company. Yes. And to get to that height, some of the institutional investors must be also... Unhappy. Unhappy. Right. Now, you know, th- this is really no surprise. This has started to boil away. We had the previous CEO of, of Westpac, um, Gail Kelly, walked away with a huge termination payment and they basically changed the rules to allow that to be paid and the, 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 that chairman, Lindsay Maxty, justified it by saying it, com- it complied with accounting standards, except there was no actual accounting standard. <laughs> and, and so now what's come out of the Royal Commission, uh, the amount of money that's being paid to these executives and all the problems that 
are coming to light, the shareholders are going to wear the cost of it and the executives have just walked away with the money unless they're going to try and reclaim some from Gail Kelly. Um, so the shareholders are generally unhappy. The, the chairman's telling everyone they, the shareholders are misunderstanding, but I, I think he's kind of lost touch with reality. Mm. So I think you might see some changes in Westpac and coming along. is that likely to flow on to maybe some of the other banks? Or uh, not quite. Well, we haven't boat. kind of rolled round to most of the AGMs um, since the Royal Commission, but I think I think the chairman of Westpac's time is limited because the, 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 the MD, there's the new MD in there, mm. um, so the chairman's the next one to go. Okay. Yeah. Now, and so APRA, APRA is APRA. flexing its muscle again. Well, APRA's flexing its muscle down at IWF, um, so apparently a number of you, which seems to be a long time, they've got round to it, but anyhow... Um, uh, several years ago, apparently IWF, um, someone made a mistake at IWF and short paid or overpaid a distribution and IWF made that money out of the reserves, which was the people who short paid it instead of IWF's own money. And now um, APRA's decided to take action against the chairman of IWF and the managing director of IWF to have them disqualified as uh, P-persons to superannuation trustees, saying that they don't understand the position required to be a superannuation trustee. Oh, that sounds like a nice phrase. So, you know, what's basically happened, the IWF, as a result of this, share prices plummeted, Yes. Um, you know, dramatically dropped. I mean, it wasn't so long ago, it's $11, and now they're around 4 Oh, yes. So, you know, it's just it's just amazing. We've got these people here in these positions and don't seem to understand the basic things. And mm. also, why is it APRA taking so long to do anything? I uh-huh. mean, they're, they're, what APRA is doing is too busy running around the smaller local institutions and trying to shut them down to, to consolidate so it's easy to regulate and do nothing against the larger ones. Uh, well, the larger ones are probably harder to deal with to start with. Well, they shouldn't be. No, they shouldn't. They should be easier to deal with. Right. So APRA's got its hands full anyway at the moment. Well, there needs to be an investigation, I think, into regulators generally. I mean, you, yes. you've got APRA, you've got ASIC, you've yes. got the, the regulator in charge of the, the livestock exports. You saw that, that. You've got problems at the TGA. You've got problems with the building regulator allowing these flammable panels in. You know, we're paying all these regulators, but what are they actually doing? Mm, being found uh, found out just a little bit at the moment. Uh, we're in the middle of our market update on Thursday Finance on 2 and URFM. Um, next up, we're going to look at gas under the Yeah, I mean, this, this comes back to how Australia's gone from the lowest uh, uh, energy, lowest cost of energy to households in the 1970s to the highest you know, in the world. Really? The, yeah. Highest yeah, in the world. Highest, highest mm-hmm. in the world. And there's some uh, US, uh, US study groups done a report on Australian um, gas prices and found that Australian households are paying two to three times what households in the US are paying for their natural gas. Mm-hmm. And as a result of the gas prices, Australian businesses who are big consumers of gas are becoming un- uncompetitive. And we've seen that with Incitec moving its fertiliser which fertiliser production consumes a lot of gas, moving its plant to the US. So, you know, this is once again, we have these regulators. Why is Australian gas prices so higher than the rest of the world? We're importing massive amounts of gas at significant less that's being sold in the domestic market. You know, what are the regulators doing? I mean, surely surely the prime objective of the regulator is to ensure that the, the gas and electricity is supplied to Australian households at the cheapest possible price for reliable supply. And they're obviously not benchmarking it against what's happening in the US and other developed countries. Mm. 
Do we export gas to the US? Probably. Probably. Huge amount of gas exports up at um, at, at Gladstone. Um, it was Gladstone and Northwest Shop. Huge gas exports. Mm, mm. And uh, not only gas probably going to the US, but um, a US company taking an interest in groceries. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think they're going to do much good. Amazon's now decided that they're going to um, set up a new grocery thing in Australia because subscribe and save. And apparently, what you're going to be able to do is pay Amazon some kind of club membership fee and get your get certain uh, regularly bought groceries on a cheaper price delivered to your house. Now, Amazon's been trying to get into the grocery business in the US for 10 years and they've got about a 1% market share. Um, Coles and Woolworths have been running these home delivery services and judging by the amount of emails I get from Woolworths about the, the delivery the delivery fee seems to be dropped all the time. Um, you know, if you get the first deliveries, you, there's no fee. And now there's some promotional thing. If you buy the delivery, you get so much off your... If you get the delivery, you get the delivery free, plus so much off your bill, plus all these bonus points. I, I don't think there's this big market that Australian likes their groceries delivered. I think people like to go to the shops and, and see what lettuce they're buying and see what they're... Uh, you know, and, and if you've got the dog at home and you've run out of dog food, you're not going to wait till the delivery gets... Well, he's, he's not going to wait till the next day for his for his dinner. And you don't want to feed him your fillet steak. Yeah, so I just think there's going to be a going to be a, a, a hard uphill slog for delivery of groceries, and Coles and Woolworths aren't going to sit there and and watch it happen. They watch it happen. Yeah. They're already doing this, and it's not a big uptake. Yes, fair enough. And uh, books. What about ah, booktopia. booktopia? So Booktopia is interesting. There's these new regulations on equity crowdfunding that you can raise money across this crowdfunding platforms on the internet, and there's been a small, a few small companies that, I, that I've seen, but but Booktopia came out this week and is attempting to raise ten million dollars across the. Made a big song and dance about um, how it's the largest crowdfunding raising, and so ASIC's come along and said, well, there's issues about whether Booktopia is a going concern, and that hasn't properly been disclosed, uh, so they've stopped all that in its tracks. So it's going to be interesting to see how crowdfunding develops, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with this Booktopia crowdfunding. Um, Attempt. Yes, attempt. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. so anyone who wants to, wants to look at crowdfunding, you need to be a bit careful because the same disclosure requirements don't apply as to a prospectus. So, you know, they're probably higher risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Mm. And uh, then Barnaby Joyce has jumped on the Grain Corp bandwagon, of course. You know, once again, the farmers own Grain Corp. The farmers sold Grain Corp. Now the farmers are concerned that if someone else buys Grain Corp, the charges might go, might have gone up. Uh, might They might put the charges up. Um, well, once again, Barnaby Joyce has said, well, this isn't on. Um, Barnaby Joyce needs to be going back to the farmers and saying, well, you shouldn't have sold it before to start with if you don't like the prices and you don't want to control the charges, you should buy the shares back. Uh, that, of course, could be a little bit tricky for farmers at the moment in the drought times. Well, not drought all farmers times. are in drought. There's a number of farmers who say yes. are, very up, are very upset about being lumbered in with these other farmers who are suffering drought, saying that they should have put the stored um, various... Um, 
hay and silage and they're bringing out stuff out of silage and looking to buy other farms. Okay. So, so you know, there's two sides to this drought story and, and it's like there's two sides to the milk processing story as well. The farmers mm. saying the processors are squeezing them but who owned the processors and who sold the processors to the, the multinationals that currently own them? Yes, sometimes. You know, and what happened to all the money from the sale of the... Yes, the yeah. sale of so, the, the first place. Yeah, you know, you've got to you've got to ask these questions. And Stephen Pritchard, a new small business. So if you're sitting around and thinking, now what will I do? I think I'll leave my job and start a business. Yeah, people tend to think about these things over the Christmas break. They'll be sitting around having a a wine or a glass of mineral water or something around the pool or, or the barbecue or something, and thinking about they they're going to start a new business in the new year. They're sick of doing what they want to do. So starting a small business isn't as easy as it seems, and there's a lot of, of romance in all this. Oh, so um, being your own boss is one, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, being your own boss, but you actually got to do some work. Yeah. Uh, um, and, okay. and this all comes to a bit of a shock to people. Um, so the first thing you need to think about is there a demand for the goods and services? You you wish to supply you know what 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 you want to start a new business what are you proposing to do um and the first thing i'd suggest if you don't know something about it it's going to be extremely difficult okay so you need to find something you know something about yeah i mean yeah in hamilton there was a a, 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 a man who'd retired from one of the government departments and bought one of the local coffee shops mm. He lasted about three months and all the business just disappeared. I knew as soon as he told me where he came, he wouldn't survive. So drinking coffee is not necessary. Drinking coffee yeah. and seeing what's happening in the yeah. coffee shop isn't the same as getting behind there, making the coffee, making the sandwiches, having to clean up, wipe the tables down. Completely different. So you need to think apart and of from... of course, all the business side of it. Yeah, and all the business yeah. side. So you need to think about what you're actually going to do and what mm. actually works involved. And usually there's a lot more work involved than than you you think. I mean, retail's not just about serving the customers and collecting the profits. It's it's about you know ordering the right stock, uh, making sure it's delivered, paying the bills, paying the rent, managing the staff. So there's lots of things you need to think about. So once you've decided what goods or services you want to supply, are there some competitors around? Now, depending what your what your business is your competitors could be if it's a, if it's a retail business it could uh, you know a coffee shop for example it could be just the ones in the street if it's a fashion store um it could be the ones across the city if you've got to have some specific label that you're wanting to sell so you need to think about who your competitors are and and what competitive advantage you have against them why will people come to your fashion store rather than the one out at Charlestown Square or, or Katara or Glendale or wherever. Um, so you need to think competitive advantages and you need to start to write all these things down. Okay, that's always a good idea, isn't it, writing something writing, down? So things, always, things always seem to me different when you start to write things down. Yeah, I'm not sure why that works, but it but does. It does, it does. Yeah. And then you go back later yeah, on. You always go look. back a day later and see yeah. what you've written down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, someone once said in business the, the prime objective, I think it was David Jones, actually, mm. Mr David Jones, the prime objective is location, location and location. Yes. So, um, you know, it's no good... Um, for example, opening a liquor store in a place that's got prohibition or no one drinks there. Uh, that <laughs> sounds yeah. a pretty obvious that's thing. That's right. So <laughs> there's no good... You need to check about your location and make sure that the 
you might have the best demand, you might have the best product in the world, but if there's no demand in that location, you won't sell any. So you need to look at your location, and this comes back about your competitive advantage. Some, some locations like restaurants, generally restaurants will do better if there's other restaurants in the area. Because it brings more because people in. Because it brings more people in and they come for a choice mm. and the one mm. one might be full and they see you next door, the new restaurant, so they'll go and try it. Mm. So some locations are better off when you have got a competition and others are better off when you, you don't. So you need to think about that as well. And I suppose another part of the location thing is, is your business going to be something where you get pass or you're trying to attract yep. passing trade yep. or does it matter if you're around the corner? That's right, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, are you a destination type business yes or or one that just relies on passing trade mm. and we're taking a look Stephen Pritchard at uh, starting a new small business some of the things you do need to think about and uh, we've had a look at where it should be and what sort of th those sorts of things what about um, other paperwork things. Uh, one, of the, one of the other things is you need to think about, do you need any licences or registrations? Mm -hmm. you know, is the business you're going in, you know, obviously some things you would know need licences, like a liquor licence, but there's all sorts of other licences that may, maybe need, second-hand goods licence, for example. Mm -hmm. And do you need to apply a lodge of development approval with the council? I mean, y y y you know, sometimes... And this can get quite tricky. If the premises you were going in was used for the same type of thing before, um, it might have existing use rights, which means you don't need a development application. But but if it was a dress shop and you're converting into a, a fish and chip shop, for example, I'm sure it's going to need a development application lodged with the council. So, And all those type of things um, cost money. So you need to think about, do some investigation as to what licences and what approvals are going to be needed and and, 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 and some of those will be ongoing and yeah, some and of, of them will the council likes to approve everything so they can charge a fee for everything well. um, but yeah so, so that's right so some of the fees are ongoing and some of them are one-off so um, yes. it, it's very important and they like to find people even if you're inadvertently don't have a license so, oh, okay. so yes, you need to go doing. and get some <laughs> advice on that um, yeah. and of course what capital importantly what capital you need in the business um, in my experience people mainly underestimate the amount of money they they they, 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 they think they need so I think you know work out what you need and then get someone else to have a look at it who, who isn't quite as romanced by the idea and they usually um, they usually overestimate what they think um, the sales are going to be so unless you've got um, almost guaranteed orders in I'd suggest you put down your sales figure that you think you're going to do and then halve it and and see see what that looks like realistically okay. because yeah you know, if you open a new shop yeah yeah you know, you're not going to get a lot of people in the door the first day you mm -hmm. know there's you've got to do some promotion you've got the walk by trade um you know how are people going to know it's there um, mm. That's one of the things about a, 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 a shopping centre. They'll, they'll sell you on the amount of um, uh, foot traffic that's going past. Right. That's not so common in a strip centre or, or another uh, another with less foot traffic. Yes. So it really depends on how you're going to generate those sales in, but they're not going to come in the first day. Right, so you have to be prepared to, to foot the bill for a little while. Yeah. And I dare say you need to think about how you're going to keep going uh, once you've started. Yeah, so what you need to do is a business plan, uh, and I don't mean get one of those business plan things that are 60 pages. You know, you need to know, you need to just basically cover the basics, who your customers are, what are your competitive advantages, 
do a budget on your uh, on your financial position and cash flows for the next twelve months. You then then you know start to substantiate what's behind the budget. Go and find out how much the rent's actually going to cost. How much the how much the legal fees for the lease? Does the landlord want a deposit? They usually want a deposit on the lease six months bond. So that all eats into your capital. Work out how much capital you're going to need, um, and, and do all these things. And go and get some advice of someone. Um, and before you open the doors. So it's always a good idea to do A lot of people, a lot of people, businesses fail because they're undercapitalised to start with. Yeah, okay. So that's really important. And it's very difficult to start a new business. (laughs) Okay, especially in these times, I suppose. I don't know in these times, but it's it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Well, that's uh, starting a small business and Thursday finance for today. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Jane. And we will be back next uh, Thursday, Thursday finance on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.